The name of that was Speechless, and it leads directly into where we're headed this morning because the title of the message is Speechless. We're going to read uh, from Luke chapter 1, a few verses. I'm going to ask you to read with me. This morning we're kicking off our Christmas season focus, and uh, the title of this series is called Christmas Interruptions. We're looking at a number of the characters who you're familiar with if you've read the gospel accounts that lead to the birth of Jesus, and yet we're looking at the way that God interrupts the lives of people in order to enfold them into what he is doing. And so today we're going to look at the character of Zechariah. Would you read with me uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 18 to 25? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Lord God, as we enter this season of preparing for Christmas and moving toward Christmas, I pray that you would help us navigate our way out of the traps that get us stuck where we get overwhelmed with the busyness of the season, or we get caught up in or depressed by the commercialization of this season. I pray instead that in some way you would surprise us, that you would draw us closer in sensing the awe of what you have done the miraculous nature of the way that you have brought the plan of grace into the world through Jesus and through the people around the Bethlehem story. And we pray that you would keep drawing us closer and closer to who you are and how you continue to interrupt lives in this world. More than anything, Lord, I pray that in the right time, in the right way, that you will cause our minds and our hearts to be open over this next month to how you would change our schedules or interrupt the plans that we have set so neatly, so carefully, that would shut you out or that would shut out whatever it is that you want us to be doing. So we offer to you our, our minds, our hearts, our calendars, and this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you. 
Have you ever waited for something your whole life long? I am one of those people accustomed to waiting. Waiting is hard. Waiting leads to frustration, renewed hope for answers, sometimes dashed hopes when answers don't come, resignation to the way things are, and sometimes anticipation when God breaks in. I was waiting, waiting for a word. My people are accustomed to this kind of hope-dashing warning. 400 years have gone by since we last heard from a prophet. Imagine that. Known throughout the region as God's people, but no word from God for God's people for 400 years. Still, we wait. Waiting for freedom. Do you like your government? Don't even get me started about our government. After the time of great kings like David and Solomon, our kings, for the most part, let us down and led us astray. Some strayed from worshiping the God who led us out of Egypt and bowed before the idols of the same nations we were coming to displace. Because we turned our backs on the Redeemer God, he turned his back on us. The kingdom was torn in two, divided. The Assyrians invaded from the northern kingdom and they destroyed it. Then the Babylonians burned and destroyed Jerusalem, and the southern kingdom fell too. Now the Romans dominate our land. A heroic but failed rebellion against Rome led to this long-term occupation. Oh, we have a king. Not much of a king. Herod is his name. He seems like more of a puppet than anything, for Rome calls all the shots. Since 37 B.C., Rome turned Judea into a backwater Roman province. So we wait. We wait for freedom. We wait for justice. We wait for someone to rid us of the Romans. We just wait. And we're waiting for a Messiah. Since the Garden of Eden, our people have waited for someone to step forward as our Messiah The Lord promised Eve that one of her offspring somewhere down the line would crush the head of the evil one. In Moses' day, they looked for this person and called him the Deliverer. In Isaiah's time, he was spoken of as a Messiah, a chosen one of God, a king who would reign on the throne of David. You know all the titles. King of kings, Lord of lords, Isaiah wrote, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, prince of peace. But hundreds of years have gone by, and we wait, we hope, and we wait. Forgive me for my rudeness, let me introduce myself. My name is Zachariah. I am a priest. I am the husband of a wonderful woman named Elizabeth. They tell me I am old. I don't feel it, but they tell me I'm old. But not too old for God to surprise. This morning I want to tell you about the day when my life was interrupted by God. The day when I became speechless for God. Speechless because of God. Without words. Simply speechless. Here's what I want 
you to know. When God interrupted my life, the result was beyond words. And my conviction is that when God interrupts your life, the result will also be beyond words. As I look back, I realize there were three things that I prayed for. All my life, these are the things that I longed for and hoped for and desired. First, to serve in the temple in my duties as a priest. Second, to be a father. And third, to live long enough to see the Messiah. Let me explain. Elizabeth is a wonderful woman. She and I longed to be parents, always hoped to be. Whenever we would buy a new home, we made sure that there was an extra room or extra bedrooms that we would one day fill with children. We prayed. We asked God to bless us with children. We were excited when other family members Children were born, or when neighbors shared good news of a young woman who was with child and expecting. We tried, we prayed, we tried some more, we prayed some more. But it seems that our prayers were never heard, or at least not answered, and years passed by. Elizabeth? Well, I would never say that she is old, but... Many years have gone by since we entertained that hope, that dream of having our own. And somewhere along the line, we just stopped dreaming this way. Time passed us on. Serving in the temple? Yes, this was my second wish. It sounds crazy because there are so many priests who serve in our land, at least 18,000 priests at one level or another, And I was never very high-ranking among the priests. But I hoped that for one day, just one day, I would have the honor of lighting the incense that symbolized the Lord's presence in one of those innermost sanctuaried areas of the temple. Here's the way our tradition worked. There were 24 divisions in the priesthood. Each day, one priest was chosen to light the incense. This would be my only chance but the odds were so far against me. It was not uncommon for a priest to serve his entire lifetime and never be chosen to serve in the temple in this specific way, never chosen to go into one of those most holy places. And then something happened. One day our order was chosen, and of all the priests in the order of Abijah, my name was selected. I went before the altar of incense, which was carefully crafted. To me, everything about this room and everything about that altar was amazing. Following the instructions given in Exodus 37, it was made from acacia wood, which is incredibly hard, virtually indestructible. And over the acacia wood of the table was a thin veneer of gold that covered everything. It was beautiful. It was gleaming. Every day, one priest would take hot coals and bring them into this inner sanctuary and touch the coals to the incense leaves that were there, immediately setting off a burst of smoke and aroma that would waft its way toward the heavens. This incense symbolized the prayers of the people toward our God. 
So several people would wait outside for the priest to finish this daily task. They would see the smoke rising. And as the smoke would rising, they would gather with the priest on the outside of that area, offering daily prayers to God. Having served this way, that priest would never again serve in that duty. And another priest would be chosen for the next day and another for the day after. And I realized this was finally my chance. This was to be the highest, most important day in my career, the most intimate day in terms of approaching God. What happened? When that moment came, I lit the incense on the altar. And as I did, an angel suddenly appeared saying to me, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Ever wondered why angels keep saying things like, do not be afraid? I know why. I was instantly terrified. This larger being with brilliant white light all around him suddenly magically appears in a place where nobody else is supposed to exist. And he knows my name and he speaks to me. And even with soothing words like, do not be afraid, I was And then he added that Elizabeth, my wife, would bear a son. And we were to give him the name John, unlike any of the names in our family. This son would be great in the sight of the Lord. He would never drink wine, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. I didn't know that was possible, that the Holy Spirit could fill a child still being carried in the womb. He said this son would come in the power of Elijah and he would make ready a people who were prepared for the coming of the Lord. This took me by great surprise. All at once, two of my three long-term prayers were being answered on the same day. First, I was serving in the temple as a daily priest who lights the altar of incense at the altar of incense in one of the holiest places where very few people ever go. And then I'm surprised by an angel who tells me I was going to have a son. I would be a father. All of this despite being an old man. All of this despite Elizabeth's age. And then I said it. The question just popped out. How can I be sure of this? Imagine, I'm having my prayers answered on the spot. There's an angel who comes to me, and I say, how can I be sure? It's one thing to fulfill your career dream serving in this way, but nothing prepared me for the direct message from an angel on behalf of the Lord. Well, I quickly learned that was the wrong question. Boy, did I learn that. The angel said in a very firm voice, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to tell you this good news. And so Gabriel then announced that because I immediately did not believe him, I would not be able to speak until all of this came to pass. When the angel left, I stepped outside to speak with the people who had gathered with me to, to lead them in prayer. 
I wanted to tell everybody I knew what it was like to actually serve in the presence of God as, as the prayers of incense go up. I wanted to tell them the news that I was going to be a father, that my wife was actually going to have a child. But I was speechless. Not a word left my mouth. Not that day, not the next day, not for nine months until our amazing son was born. To our amazement and delight, Elizabeth was soon with child. Long before he was born, we named him John. You can bet I wasn't going to disobey the instructions from Gabriel after already having doubted him. I wondered what would come next if I did. The family, of course, argued over another name on the day when John would arrive, but Elizabeth insisted it was to be John, and, and they consulted me who hadn't spoken for nine months, and all of a sudden my voice came alive and the words came out, his name is John. See, when God interrupts your life, the result will be beyond words, beyond what others can understand. And this question arose in my mind, what was the Lord doing? Some of the words that the angel spoke to me were that John was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Those final words from Gabriel stuck in my mind, and I thought, what is he up to? The angel said, my son would be great in the sight of the Lord that he'll bring many back to the Lord, that this is possible, that those who wander away and we think are gone forever sometimes come back and that God was going to make this happen, and that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit right from the start, even from before the day he was born. And those nine months gave me time to think. Elizabeth, she took no chances. She stayed in seclusion for five months. She'd waited for this all her life, too. Unable to talk, my mind went back through the scriptures over and over. I thought about Abraham and Sarah, who had no children. Sarah was in her 90s, and Abraham 100 years old when Isaac was finally born. God was fulfilling his covenant with Abraham back then. Did this mean that our child's arrival would have covenant significance too? Angels don't come every day with messages like this. Six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, another clue came. We received a sudden visit from her younger cousin, Mary, a distant cousin. You won't believe this, but Mary had also received a visit from an angel. And when she asked, could you guess his name? I knew the name. It was Gabriel. That got my attention. Mary was much younger than Elizabeth. She always thought of Elizabeth more like an aunt. And when she heard that Elizabeth was pregnant, Mary had to see her and talk with her. You see, Mary was not yet married. She was pledged to a young carpenter named Joseph, a good man. And they had not known each other in the biblical way. Yet Gabriel announces that she too will have a baby. Hey, it's one thing for Elizabeth, who longed to have a child, but this would be difficult for Mary. 
so she stayed with us for some time. On that day, as soon as Mary walked into our home, the baby within Elizabeth jumped and leapt, or at least kicked in a very unusual way. And Elizabeth was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only was this child filled with the Spirit, but my wife was filled with the Spirit. And she spoke prophetically. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We wondered, where did those words come from? What did they mean? The mother of my Lord would come to me? And together we put these messages side by side. To me, the angel had said, your son will make people ready for the king. And to Mary, the angel was saying, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. God was up to something big. And we were right in the middle of it. And again, I was speechless at this news. Elizabeth was was so glad to have Mary there because I couldn't talk. And they both needed someone safe. They both needed someone they could talk all of this through with. And it was safer for Mary to stay with us as the news of her scandalous pregnancy leaked out and spread. Six months after our John was born, Mary's baby was named Jesus. Now we knew that our John and Mary's Jesus had special roles to play in God's plan. Was the Lord about to answer my third long-time prayer that I would actually live to see the Messiah? God was interrupting. And when God interrupts your life, the, the result is beyond words, beyond what you can imagine. We watched over the next several years as John fulfilled the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah had written years ago, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John and Jesus did not grow up together. We lived in the hill country in Judea near Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary raised Jesus for the most part in in Galilee, the northern province in the town of Nazareth. And it was obvious that the Holy Spirit was with John all along. John spent time living in the desert. He seemed to thrive in the outdoors. It toughened him. And he had some peculiar habits, too. I can say that about my own son. He often ate bugs, especially locusts. He found a way to grab a hold of food in places that nobody else could dream that it existed. And he had this knack for finding honeycombs while being absolutely unafraid of the bees. And oh, could John preach. Didn't happen in synagogues. Didn't happen in the temple courts. He preached outside in the wilderness or via the River Jordan. He preached about repentance and fleeing the wrath to come. He preached about doing acts of justice in an age of injustice. Crowds came to hear John, our John, from far, far away. 
He told people with two shirts to share with the person who has none. He told people to share their food with the poor. He told the tax collectors that they shouldn't take any more than what was required. And when the Roman soldiers came and said, what should we do? He told them to be content with their pay and to never falsely accuse anyone. And then he baptized them all in the river. This was new. We weren't used to seeing people being baptized. Until then, baptism was just for converts to Judaism, outsiders who were coming in. People began openly repenting of their sins against each other, apologizing to each other, all in preparation for this baptism and for what would come next. And there was a change that began to take hold in the expectations of people. There was a change in the conversations we kept hearing from the community. And then the Pharisees and the religious leaders came out to watch. Oh, did John have words for them. You brood of vipers, he said. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? And I thought, John, hold back. You don't know what they can do. But John continued, and the crowds loved it when he took them on. And even more people came forward to be baptized, opening their hearts and their minds to what was next. Then one day, who comes to John but Jesus? John had taught all along that someone greater than himself was coming soon. And this one would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, not just with water. John didn't want to baptize Jesus at first. It didn't seem right to him, but Jesus insisted. He said they needed to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus came up out of the water, John said he heard the voice of God and sensed the Spirit of God on Jesus in a new way. And the voice of God called out, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. But not everyone loved John's preaching. He called out King Herod for stealing his own brother's wife. The people loved it. But Herod had John arrested and locked away. As John's name came to fade, the name of Jesus was talked about everywhere. John had always accepted that he had a God-given role to play and it was to set the stage for the one who would come next. And now locked away in that prison, he sent messengers to Jesus with this all-important question, are you the one? The scriptures put it this way, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he tacked on this phrase, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. On one hand, these were words that John needed to hear. These were the words of the Messiah prophesied so long ago by Isaiah. On the other hand, Jesus left out one thing. The part that Isaiah had proclaimed that, John, that Jesus left out were, 
and the prisoners are released. And then he added that thought, blessed are those who do not fall away. And my John knew that he would not be released from that prison. My John knew that Jesus was telling him, don't lose hope, don't lose heart, hold on. You fulfilled your role. Don't lose hope on account of me. And for John, it was enough. So my three great prayers had been answered. I'd ministered in the temple in the very presence of the Lord. I'd become a father, a father to a man of consequence. And now I knew I had lived long enough to see and hear the Messiah. No more waiting. Once speechless at the plan of God, forevermore trusting in Jesus. Even John needed to trust in Jesus, and I would too. I know this all these years later. If my son John were here, he would have one question for each of you. Are you trusting in Jesus? At Christmas time, God has a way of interrupting lives in order to point us back towards Jesus. And I know this more clearly than anything else. When God interrupts your life, the result will be beyond words. Are you open? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us to experiment a little bit and to get inside the head and the mind of Zechariah by taking the information we have and exploring and now we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to however you might interrupt our schedules to align us with your schedule in this coming season. Use us, surprise us, amaze us. Make us speechless at the wonder of what you have done and of your marvelous plan of redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name.